episode 15 episode 15 we're still here just about we've got a good thing going episode 15 of wessex ways welcome everybody wessex ways yes should we uh just roll the music sounds good Hey! <laughs> uh, how are you, Paul? You're right. Yeah, I'm good. I, you know, I hope that bit of music kind of sits in people's head because when I listen to podcasts, they all have their own music like we do. Yeah. And I kind yeah. of think uh, it instantly takes you to that podcast in kind of a an association kind of way. And I hope that hope other great. people yeah, associate so. with our waffle. As well. When eventually we're there live, Wembley Stadium, they oh, will introduce yeah. us with that music. Yeah, yeah. sell out. So, <laughs> sell out, you know. so if you're new to Wessex Ways, welcome. Uh, I'm Paul. This is Headley. I've got that the wrong way around. Um, <laughs> let's check the books. Um, um, I'm Headley or Rebecca or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and we talk about um, the area of Wessex. Uh, so uh, Paul is uh, kind of a subject matter expert in uh, railways disused railways canals disused canals roman roads disused roman roads and stuff like that uh, whereas i tend to sort of uh, walk paths and tracks and fly drones over them and uh, generally do stuff like that so uh, yeah what <laughs> so uh, the format of this is what we do is we sort of catch up a little bit first see what we've been doing recently and then we usually both have a, a bit of a topic uh, Mine's a bit different today. Um, oh. Oh. <laughs> the I viewers, mean, for the, for the, listeners for the, probably know the, what it is. Yeah, well, for the new viewers, listeners, mm. whatever you are, we normally have this wonderful game, our little treasure hunt, uh, which Headley loves much more than I do, secretly. Mm. And uh, I kind of guess where Headley's uh, thing is this week uh, by way of old roots. So Headley just uh, described what I do. In my time, um, mm. uh, I think I think it would be encapsulated by saying I enjoy a route. So with it, like as you say, Hedley, with it's an old canal or Roman road or railway or whatever. Um, yeah. So I'm going to guess where you are today in your mm-hmm. uh, thing by way of mm. route. But yeah, we'll do that. That's a right. One, as you say, we'll do that. A little so one. we we label that section treasure hunt, and then anyone who puts a comment uh, on the YouTube iteration of this podcast uh, down below in the doobry do. Um, you can see my, my massive hand there. Uh, <laughs> great trick. Um, and then we uh, tend to read uh, at least some of them out uh, in the following uh, episode. So bear that in mind. If you put a comment, we'll put your user YouTube name against it. And in fact, if you remind me later when we get to that, there's a bit of a channel that I want to promote someone else's channel as well. Sounds good to me. I mean, yeah, if the so... comment if the comment is entertaining. You're almost guaranteed to gonna have it read out later in the um later in the podcast, yeah. right, Hadley? The more yeah. entertaining, the more chance you've got of being listener exactly. Of the week. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, to people watching rather than listening, uh, we we had a bit of a fight between Zoom and Teams before starting this, and so we're. Uh, people can see us together in uh, what looks alarmingly like the back row of a cinema. Um, it does, doesn't it? It really does. This is a bit, it is. It's quite a light cinema, but yeah, you know. it is. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll try to leave <laughs> Paul alone there. 
Uh, <laughs> I, oh, I'm looking the wrong way. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good at this. Right. I'm really not good at anyway, this. Anyway, <laughs> this is disintegrating fast and people are turning off. Tell me, Paul, what have you been up to since we last did our last podcast, which was episode 14, which was the outdoor podcast that we both did? We did, yeah. So we did an outdoor podcast purely just to sort of say, right, don't go anywhere, people. We're just going on holiday for a few weeks here and there. Um, so, yeah, I quite enjoyed doing that, actually. And a lot of the comments hmm. said we should go and go and do a podcast to get outside. And to be fair to them, we have been trying to do this for weeks and weeks, Headley, haven't we? No. Yeah. Your diary, my yeah. diary, everybody else's diary who's going to be involved is, yeah. is difficult to do, isn't it? Um, it's that time of the year. It's that time of the year. I'm going to pour myself a drink, Headley, which is a... Um, look, right, can you... I don't know for the... Can you see that? But, uh, I can see... Um, I can see some kind of beer you're holding. Yeah, right. So yeah. I went. I went to a pub in Warwickshire, mm-hmm. um, and I said, "I know nothing about beers." I said, "Have you got like a light, uh, bitter, smooth bitter?" And she said, "Oh yeah, we got butty back." Like I knew what that would be. So this is butty back. So I said, "Yes, <laughs> yeah, I have some butty back." Like I totally knew what this lady was on about. And uh, here we are with the butty back, and I'm now addicted. I think that's called. It sounds al- like alcoholism. a very. Um... Sounds like a very specialised pub there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Warwick. Yeah. So what, I've been on holiday. We, we went on holiday. Bizarrely, has anyone ever been on holiday to Warwickshire? Because I don't think that is a holiday destination. But that's where we went for a week. Great beaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt like I must be quite close to the point mm. of which is furthest from the sea. Because that's around mm. there somewhere, isn't it? I, I should have worked that out at some point. That's almost a video. Unless I don't think you've done that one, the yeah. furthest point from the sea. But from I think anywhere, other people no. have probably done that. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be going to be done to death if you if you stick it on YouTube and find out what. But I've I've been doing too much Roman Road stuff. I think our last three videos have been on Roman bits, um, yeah. and I need to get back into doing some canals and railways and stuff because I, I don't want to. Um, I want to be able to mix it all up. But yeah, I've been mm. doing too much, too much Roman road stuff. Um, other than hanging out with you at the whole museum, being mm-hmm. on holiday, recording a podcast, and doing too much Roman stuff, not a lot really. Um, mm. I, 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 I'm really enjoying making the bigger films, and I call it bigger. I don't mean bigger as in length necessarily, although they are sometimes, but bigger as in a bit more detail and a bit more care mm. and attention and documentary like. Um, we did the Roman hoax. Uh, we did how we mapped Roman Britain. We did uh, all railways lead to London. And I really, really love that style of video. And mm. I don't have time to do them every week, unfortunately. And it's really do you, are they, I love it. How are the how's the popularity there? It's a lot oh, of effort you're putting in. Yeah, it's always and, good, and they're very professional. Um, and you still got that element of humour as well, which is good. Um, yeah. I was worried that if you're going to go too close to kind of a BBC style documentary, yeah, you might lose yeah. the humour, but you haven't. Yeah. Well, I guess the beauty of not having enough time to do that every week means that I, we end up still messing around doing little vlogs and bits in between. Yeah. So I guess that still brings in the Paul and Rebecca being idiots kind of and side to it, you know? You started a little blog alongside it as well, haven't you? You started doing your own sort of uh, behind the scenes kind of thing. Oh, for, well, yeah, our patrons and our YouTube members, yeah, get the behind the scenes every week as well. So if you want to be um, super, super, mm. you know, in the fan club, as it were, then we do, yeah, we do the behind the scenes, which is... Yeah, uh, 
again and i've seen i've seen i found a a way of hacking patreon so i see it for free and if anyone needs details (laughs) on how to do that just let me know just kidding just kidding (laughs) (laughs) so yeah too many roman road videos but we did do a a big long form called uh, all lines lead to london which was about Mm -hmm. sort of beaching and the failure of railways from a very early age, which again was really enjoyable. I just love mm. taking the time and, and doing one of those edits, which is really good fun. But um, yeah, and next week's video, which is super exciting, is um, how to find a Roman mosaic that isn't Ooh. in the museum. Because um, you've done the how to find Roman roads one, haven't you? Yeah, that, that, that was, was again, that, that was, was kind of a vlog almost. So it wasn't one of the detailed ones, mm. but it was still really enjoyable. We did, We basically walked... Um, a lot of Roman Road Route 155, uh, as prescribed by Ivan, Ivan Marbury. And, um, yeah, we kind of just said, right, OK, let's let's do the top five ways of finding a Roman road, whether it's, um, you know, researching, whether it's looking at OS maps, whether it's reading up on antiquarians or all different ways you can you can find a Roman road and sort of show off to your mates. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great fun. Yeah. Really good fun. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's that's basically what we've been up to in the last I don't know, two, three weeks perhaps. Mm. Uh, yeah, what about you, Headley? What have you been up to? I've seen loads of <clears> you've been up to, to be Well, fun. kind of. Kind of been up to a few things. I'm I'm not gonna list them all because, you know, it's that's not why people tune in. But the I I went on holiday myself, so I went to, to Mallorca, uh, which was nice and you know, a few years back, I'd cycled around Mallorca and over the mountains and all of that malarkey. Yeah. And this this time round, uh, I'm older and larger, so it was a family holiday. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was really nice. It's really hot. It's like th- 37 degrees, and I I think we were the about the only place in the Mediterranean that wasn't actually on fire, which was yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, but yeah, um, been obviously more on the uh, exhibition. So tomorrow, Anna and I go back um that will be that would have happened by the time this podcast comes out and yeah. we're also leading a walk tomorrow we've got 16 17 people cool. coming on a walk we're going up tan hill tomorrow evening um so we i was going to promote the other walks on here but apparently they're booked out so oh, really? um, there's just no point to be honest with you yeah. um and yeah we're showing the ridgeway group around uh, the exhibition tomorrow it's going to be a long day i'm going out anna's for about half eight nine and not getting home till probably close to midnight so it's going to be a, nice. a long one um but, but the other thing i've been doing uh, that's been really interesting is uh, something called clumps go ancient and yeah, i saw you saw some of this yeah, yeah it's a festival of archaeology now they wanted they contacted me uh, uh quite last minute on this so they wanted me to put pictures up and do demonstration flights and stuff like that but of course you you can't cobble together a load of framed pictures i mean most of mine at the moment are down in you know devices on on exhibition anyway so um basically i i got a few that i i could together um and anna joined me and uh, she was doing a live painting of one of my pictures um for people to see and it was the iron age hill fort at castle hill at Wyndham clumps um and i was giving uh i know it sounds a bit weird but flights over the clumps so usually i stress you can't fly a drone at earth trust um they don't permit it uh, from their land 
uh they gave me permission for the weekend which felt really good um and yeah so these flights people could see live what was happening from the drone and then mm. i'd fly out over the clumps and we'd look down on the inh hill fort look at the uh the site of the settlement by the thames uh, the roman settlement the mm. roman settlement and villa by earth trust itself and then i'd land and i did that probably eight or nine times a day just constantly yeah. charging one battery flying yeah. with the other <laughs> and mm. um and kids love it you know yeah. kids have most of these kids have only seen toy drones they hadn't seen you know these bigger drones yeah, like the mavic yeah. 3 and that and um we were playing a game with them spot the hill fort so you know yeah. drone takes off and as soon as they see castle hill hill fort then they go there it is there it is and then suddenly they realize oh that's one of whitnam clumps because of course yeah. from the ground it doesn't look like a hill fort yeah. um and they had lots of stuff there they were making roman and iron age food um, nice. luckily without the Roman and Iron Age dysentery to go with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was great. And they had dig ventures there who are archeology span group that had been digging there and they were showing their finds. They'd found a Roman dog there, um, which they excavated recently as well. And, yeah. uh, bits of that were on show. So yeah, it's, it's, it was a really, really nice, uh, weekend. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'll probably cut it there because everything else I've been doing is just the usual kind of the odd walker that i did i did join the gym so right. okay. um i'm hoping that you'll see a, a better built but slimmer <laughs> headley in the future um do you know to go back to what you said it's such a cool thing that they asked mm. you to come in a drone capacity because mm. i think it like saying you are a drone pilot is a bit like saying you're a youtuber it's kind of a bit oh okay drones a bit yeah. annoying youtube yep. do you know what i mean it, I, I kind of think that's really good that they kind of you know associate that with really positivity in terms of mm. like you know things you can capture from you know that angle really good well, really positive. yeah and this is i'm trying to i'm trying to make drones more acceptable in everything yeah. i do so i did that talk in oxford um uh, to to everyone you know about the the use of drones over the ridgeway how they're employed in archaeology how they're employed in art um yeah. photography um you know and how they're used generally so you know i've been out finding lost dogs with a drone and stuff like that and yeah. you know i, th I think that the, the problem is that people think of drones as being these loud things that scream through the sky they're yeah. a lot smaller and quieter nowadays and they do yeah. have more uses but the yeah. thing is there are still people that misbehave with them it's the old cyclist thing isn't it you know everyone in a car seems to hate cyclists because they've seen that guy who jumps the light and this that, and the yeah. other so there's a few yeah. few of them making you know um mm. and i, I do, i'm trying to do everything i can to say to to promote the safe use of drones i mean i work at heathrow and all that so i i want yeah. you know want people to behave with drones where they can and and um you know and i just think that drones get a bad rap and yet oh, they're, they're doing so many good things with them i mean mm. even little things it's like if you go back to paris when notre dame was on fire they were yeah. using Ma mavic 2 pro drones with thermal cameras sorry oh, really? mavic 2 enterprise drones to to see where the fire was approaching the towers and then direct yeah. the water towards the area so right, drones right. help save notre dame you know so yeah. there's a, that's uh, i've realized that's probably not the most ethical cause you know, they saved a cathedral um and and of course they used in ukraine now actually this is getting worse isn't it um but um 
but yeah, yeah. It's, it yeah. was really good being up there and, and it was great seeing the clumps from above. I mean, I, I managed to get mm. the drone into areas that I can't usually get to sort of between the clumps in, in the cleft. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, actually being able to look straight down on Round Hill, Castle Hill. And you can see on Round Hill, as I said in my last video on here, you can see earthworks. There are definitely earthworks up on Round Hill as well as Castle Hill. I mean, the whole that whole area is saturated with history, probably yeah. as much so as Avery or somewhere like that. And I, I'd actually go further and say I think the settlement that would have been by the Thames would have been so huge and you had the the hill fort plus the villas and everything nearby you're probably mm. looking at somewhere that really commanded a big section of the kingdom there you know mm. and probably even more so than places like Avery and that so you know it's yeah. it's a fascinating area mm. um I want to start doing walks up there and, and taking people for walks um so that'd be really good so I'm getting all emotional about Whitnam clumps again but uh <laughs> <laughs> well we we enjoyed I mean we didn't go and mm. see Wetland Clumps, me and Rebecca, but we walked along mm. the bottom yeah. on the south yeah. side of the Thames. Mm. Mm. Um yeah, it was lovely, it was really nice. And and yeah, we weren't expected to be able to walk as much as what you can because obviously mm. it's I I guess it's permissive access all around there at the moment. Um yeah. and that's great from the Earth Trust, I think, yeah. So it yeah. Was very a very good area to go and see. Well, you know, if ever you're in the area and I'm I'm off work, we'll we'll go there. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm about, sort of an ambassador of the Earth Trust in a way, uh, without trying to big myself up too much. I'm, you know, I, I get involved in some of the stuff they do now, which is nice, and they're ever such a nice organisation. And you know, um, they 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 do manage a lot of different areas, as you heard in the last uh, podcast. But obviously, the one that people know the most is Whitnam Clumps, yeah. and. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's just a wonderful place. Yeah, yeah. cool. Right, super. super. Yeah. Oh, what well, I tell you, what we could do one very brief bit of news, Eddie. We don't tend to do much news, do we? But no. uh, I don't think we've mentioned because it's probably Dartmoor. been within the last two. Dartmoor, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's been, it must have been within the last week, or if not mm. ten days, two weeks, that mm. the decision we talked about some time ago has been overturned. Yes, unanimously by three judges, so I guess it's unlikely that it's going to go backwards again. Mm. Um, so that's a really positive step, I think, isn't it? Really positive. Yes. Yeah, I think it's it's wonderful. Um, it's I, I'm not one of these people that sort of you know I'll be honest with you, I'm not much of a campaigner and stuff like that. But that that did you know taking away people's ability to enjoy Dartmoor in certain ways is is it. it it didn't sit well with me at all mm. and it does sound like it's good i mean it, it could be appealed and everything but um i think that you know but balanced out with that i will also say that you know there is a responsibility um for people to look after these areas and make sure that we don't get into the situation again where landowners are complaining and trying their best to revoke access to people who want to camp there and walk there and all that sort of stuff because you know, I think everyone needs to play their part. But yeah, I'm always always yeah. on the side of access rather mm. than not access, should we say? Um, yeah. It seems to be everywhere. It's the same with you know a lot of the rivers as we've been talking about, and you know, and there's there's a lot of I think there's a lot of controversial stuff. I don't want to bring Stonehenge into this at all. You've done videos on that, but um, yeah. obviously there are movements course, there as yeah, well with the road as well so well, uh, yeah we can we can mention it in terms of a non-divisive way into, into yeah that's true yeah, which, yeah whatever your views 
Stonehenge mm. Tunnel is now back on the cards. It, who knows if it will stay on the cards? Because um, it's on and off like a yo-yo, isn't it? But apparently we're back on the cards and a an order, a something consent order has been approved for the tunnel to mm. be built. So, mm. uh, yeah, watch this space to see if that goes ahead. Yeah, in yeah. our lifetime, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, how long? Because I'm I'm getting uh, an impression it would be similar to the one they did at Hindhead, but I don't know how long that took to build. No, It'd be I'm guessing it's sort of similar in length and stature and everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, I yeah, mean, I, I, yeah. Off the top of my head, what a decade do we think? Yeah, something like project? that. Something like that. Yeah. Clue, but yeah, I'd guess a decade, maybe. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a civil engineer of any any means, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's, it's all, it will be very boring do you get it boring, yeah, but boring. I, I, yeah, no no explain that to me explain what you mean boring <laughs> Bo- bo- oh it's like a clever play on words is that what is that what you've done Hedley? yeah 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 <laughs> I, i'd love to backtrack maybe we can edit i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there we go yeah all good. so do yeah, you want well. to do a bit of a subject first yeah, sure, and then we'll play the game afterwards. I'm, re- I'm really excited. Game. I get so excited about the game. <laughs> well, anyway. I promise you. I promise you. Right, let's just make a promise to our listeners. <laughs> Treasure Hunt is back on this week. Really? We didn't do it last week. It sort of tripped up the week before because you basically chose <laughs> where I was going anyway. Um, <laughs> that was funny. But uh, this time, I, I'm. I, I'm. I think you might be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll All see. Right. We'll see. Challenge accepted. Okay. Challenge accepted. I wanted. I guess I wanted to talk this week a little bit more <coughs> about the video we did on the Roman hoax, because I, I when you I guess when you when you research something so much, and then you try and put that into a fifteen to twenty minute video, so much gets left out, and then combined with the fact that a lot of people give you additional information or make comments that. You think, oh, that's a good point. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. And there's all, yeah, when the bit we do these bigger videos, that's always the case. So when we went to your wonderful evening at Devizes in the Wiltshire Museum, you had Mike Parker Pitts. Michael Pitts, yep. is that his name? Mike Pitts, yeah, Mike Pitts. Mike Pitts. And he did a really lovely talk for you, an introduction about the, you know, mm. everything. And he talked about William Stukeley. And he said how wonderful William Stukeley was as an antiquarian, late, well, middle, late 1700s. Um, and I <laughs> I felt really bad because earlier in the day I'd done a tweet, or whatever they call it now, uh, on X, um, about Stukeley being fooled by this hoax. And you want to watch our, our video next week. And then, of course, later in the day, there's Mr. Pitt saying how great Stukeley was. And I, and I felt bad because clearly Stukeley did so much work um, of positivity in that area with Stonehenge, Avebury, um, and did all kind of drawings. He did drawings, I think, from above, yeah, without the ability to to fly a drone like you or I, without the ability to get an aeroplane or anything. This guy did images of the avenues and everything, all from above, and it was wonderful. Um, so he really advanced the understanding. He took measurements and he took everything of great detail and helped understanding of those monuments at the time he was alive so to give us a much better understanding 250 years later um and of course i was you know four hours earlier saying stukely what a fool <laughs> and i'll take it all this is a bit embarrassing um 
But the whole premise of this video was William Stukeley receiving a letter. Um, 1747 on his doorstep, the 11th of June. Interestingly, that turned out to be a Sunday. So it's like, right. what, 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 how do you get a letter in the 1700s on a Sunday? Is that a thing? Was was there a postal service? I, how do you send letters in the 1700s? There's a question for you. It would have been, so I'm guessing it would have been messenger. So obviously that, I think that would have been sort of point to point using yeah, an oars or something i don't know i guess yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's a question for listeners i guess what how do they send letters in the sunday always been the religious day and the day off so to speak no i don't idea. i don't i don't know if it has i mean i think sunday has always been sort of the the church day but i yeah whether it's actually a day off work and whether messengers would work i, I don't know I mean, it's written everywhere that it, that is the right date and that date does fall on a Sunday, but that, that confused mm. me for a start. But Mr. Stukeley receives a letter from um, a Charles Bertram of um, who, who was an English guy but working in Denmark. And the letter says, I've got hold or I've seen a manuscript um, from a monk in the 1300s or 1400s. And it's all this lost information about the, um, about Rome. Uh, Rome, about uh, Britain's uh, Roman history, North Scotland. And it was absolutely fascinating. I got completely enthralled in it. Um, and me and Rebecca filmed for a day, filming it all up and down the same route that we did 155, um, with all the wonderful backdrops and holloways and everything there. So worked really well. And somebody wrote a, a, a sentence about Stukeley. And I, and I saw, do you know what, I'm nicking that sentence and I'm going to read it. It was a quote from one of our listeners. Stukeley was a fascinating character. He lived at a perfect time for his enthusiasm to overreach his actual scholarship. An age of the gentleman amateurs where creativity wrangled from the groundbreaking to the delusional. Stukeley played a founding role in the rediscovery of the Druids as a magnet for historical fantasies of many kinds. I thought, God, that's really interesting. That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Um, but there's lots of facets to it. I was fascinated by William Roy, the map maker, who almost, he didn't found OS, but OS was sort of founded on the back of the work he had done in Scotland. Mm. Um, and even William Roy was, I say fooled, but used a lot of the information from this forgery that Charles Bertram had come up with. Um and that pretty much ruined all of the work that William Roy did. And like I say, William Roy mm. was responsible almost for the, the OS coming to, into play. And it's fascinating how one person can come up with, with this a, a forgery that is so well done mm. that it's completely believed. And we still call the Pennines the Pennines today. That was a big mm. sort of bone of contention with a few comments. Um, where this guy came up with hundreds of new names for places completely made up. He'd heard the Alps being referred to as the, the, the Pennine Alps, so decided to call the mountain range down the backbone of England between Yorkshire and Lancashire. He decided to call that the Pennines, and it stuck. And it was so. Did, did he know? Did he know that he was effectively writing history, and that the information he passed on would then be written, or was this just kind of? I don't know. This is the beauty of it. It, it wasn't found to be fake or forgery for a hundred years. So both he and Stukeley died without knowing 
the mm. consequence of their actions. Even more so. So, so Bertram knew that he was creating this forgery. Um, Bertram knew that he was creating an entire manuscript of his own head, out of his own head. So, so he did use some genuine sources. He did use some things that were already known. He did, you know, he repeated so much. But let's say out of 100 things he wrote, 75 were based on actual known fact. And then he made up the rest. So all these different things. A great example of the itineraries. At the moment, in Britain, there is only fifteen itineraries. An itinerary is like a route. Um, there's only there's fifteen that you can still see original itineraries that the Romans used. So a trip from Exeter to London, or a trip from Silchester to Gloucester, or wherever. There's itineraries, and you can see it, and you yeah. can see the routes that they took. So this yeah. guy made up a whole bunch more of itineraries and said, oh, I found all these itineraries that go in the manuscript. And he made up one itinerary that was for Inverness to um, Exeter. Now, what? we still don't know. We still don't know to this day if the Romans actually got to Inverness. There's a few forts along that top coast where uh, Inverness is. Uh, not the top coast, but, you know, the, 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 the bit between Inverness and Aberdeen. There's a few forts there which did possibly have Roman occupation as they went around the coast. But this guy said, no, no, here it is. Look, here's all my evidence. He renamed a province north of Inverness, so which sort of said, well, the Romans did make it there. So obviously everybody was so taken in with this. And, you know, the map maker, William Roy, was sold to it as well. Um, and, yeah, so Bertram, um, Bertram, Bertram, he died thinking, no one's found me out. Oh, this is true. I've come up with this forgery. Um, William Stukeley never knew it was a forgery because he died, obviously, way before it was found to be a forgery. Uh, the The biggest issue was um, Stukeley translated the work. Had he been a real Latin reader, he'd have realised that the Latin was terrible. The Latin was just like words, just like me or you going into Google Translate and just typing in words and translating yeah. it that way. Stukely, did, Stukely was totally sold on that and he translated it into English pushed out all it here it is everyone I've translated it for you and everybody went oh okay that reads quite well but it only yeah, reads yeah. well because Stukely could write well and he wrote all these yeah. Yeah, wrote it all down but had anyone actually seen the original that could really speak Latin well they'd have gone this this doesn't read that well. it doesn't flow at all it's just words yeah it doesn't flow elegantly like somebody would write Latin so it took a couple of generations to kind of just yeah. accept, set the reality with which they've been presented in print. And that's yeah. it. That's it from then on, because there's no one to question it further on, because it's just normality, I suppose. hundred percent. Everyone took it as normality. Mm. And there were, mm. there were, I think, two or three errors um, that sort of stuck out. The mm. I, I spout Grampius, wrong Grampium, Grampius. Um, Grampius, somebody even wrote, and I'm going to read a comment again from somebody who kind of, corrected me in a positive way um the grampius grampium error is a bit more complex than you suggested uh, ta uh tatticus i can never pronounce that name tacitus tacitus actually named the mountain and battle site as mond grupius um he made an error in his work 17 uh, 1476 um and changed the second U to an M, Grampius, 
and presumably Stukeley compounded this by also changing the S. So, um, yeah, this guy copied some of the works, which mm. is fine, but he, he copied the works that were a mistake. So had he have seen some earlier works, they wouldn't have spelt it that way. So that was one way in which you could have worked out. Um, the Latin was another way, but Stukeley kind of smoothed over that. Um, mm. But yeah, the big question is... is not why we're stupidly taken in and drawn in by it, because I think maybe nine out of ten people would. Because, oh my goodness me, it's, it's just exciting, isn't it? All of a sudden, you've been presented with, you know, here, Headley, look what has been discovered. And, you know, it's not in the age of the internet, the age of anything. You're, mm. you're an antiquarian. Someone's presented you with this. Why wouldn't you believe it? Um, but the big question for me is, why did he do it? You know, why did this guy create a forgery? Why did he choose Stukely? Why did... I don't know. There's so many... I, I, I'm fascinated it's by... It's strange. The, yeah. I mean, we always go on nowadays how the availability of information is what sort of drives these echo chambers where people, you know, come up with false stories, false conspiracies, yeah. etc. And, and yet that's because... That happened because of a lack of availability of information people took you know what what was quite eloquent information coming yeah. their way and as you say if it's written well you yeah. tend to sort of take it more as as you know credible yeah and uh, yeah. yeah i mean yeah. again being fair to sukley he did a bit of um, due diligence and he, and he tried to sort of find out about this character bertram mm. and everyone he spoke to said yeah he's, he's a good guy he's a sound mind he's a really good guy mm. So again, Stukely was like, okay, well, I've no reason not to believe him because he comes from, you know, he's recommended in terms of his work. Um, yeah, it, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, mm. And a few people have said to me, oh, well, yeah, the Pennines. Surely that's how how all names come about. And you know, well, no, not really. Mm. Yeah, it's more an evolution through history. Names change. But names yeah. of places come from eras of people, the Saxons, the Vikings, the Danes, the yeah. Romans, the Britons. The, you know, our country is made up of a trillion different, not a trillion, a dozen different invasions over time. Norman, French. Yeah. It's got a bit of everything, and that's great. <clears throat> but <throat> it's all there for a reason. It's all a language that has sort of intertwined itself over the years. So... It's not really that that's how things are made up. You know, the fact this guy just made it up by plucking something out of the air um, and a number of other places in the country, um, including naming a province north of Inverness. Um, no, it's not how things came about. So that was quite an interesting thing. But um, yeah, I, I just thought, do you know what? I, I haven't had time as well because this guy did a map with all this work. So he did a beautiful map. Um I really want to have a look at that map and see what else is made up, what's real, what's made up. I haven't had time to do that yet, but I'm sort of fascinated to go into this a bit further if I can. Um, but that's to see if time allows. But um, I, I, I was completely enthralled by this, and I wish I could find a story like that every week to do because yeah. it really worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And it's, it's, it's good that we've got kind of this this hindsight now to be able to appreciate that, okay, look, you know, what what was written down was someone's imagination, but that in, yeah. in itself is part of history, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. A lot of place, most place names and, you know, a lot of words and nouns and everything we have today in English are as a result of 
just things happening, including yes. misnaming things. I mean, my own surname has got an E on the end, and that's because of a census error God yeah. knows how many years ago. Yeah. And, and you know, it's stuck. I'm not going to change it back, you know. I'm not going to yeah. get the whole family to change, take the E off because of a mistake uh, yeah. someone made 300 years ago. Yeah, um, uh, and, and yeah. I'm sure that everybody's name is find a white wick about the same way as mine prior to 1781 because mm-hmm. you won't mm-hmm. no. fascinating yeah absolutely fascinating mm. brilliant right Hedley, oh, should i get bing maps out i say bing maps so i get os maps on out. then now i could try sharing my screen but that's that's led to disaster before so i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna run my own local copy of bing maps and sort of give you a, a hot right. or cold do you, now how yeah, do you want to okay. do this should we do this hot or cold or, yeah, go on then. Go on then. Um, go on then. I've oh, just right, picked. A, I've picked a random area. Uh, I say random. All right, I tell you what I'm going to do, Headley. Why don't I start um, on Roman Road One Five Five because that's got a little bit of sentimental value to me in the last week. Now that's way down in this North South Downs. Um, so I am now. So you're near Winchester, yeah. Nope, nope. I'm even further. I'm near Diddling. I'm near Cocking. And there's a beautiful sign that says Cocking Diddling. Um, uh, <laughs> cocking Diddling. <laughs> cocking Diddling. Sorry, um, it just sounds like some crude activity. Um, let's have a. Well, well, you say that, Eddie, because then um, somewhere around is the it, corner. Is it, there, is it Cocking or Cockling? No, it's Cocking. No, Cocking. Uh, cocking. Yep. Right, and, and just around the corner from there, Headley, is a place called South Harting, and if you if you shorten okay. that and abbreviate it like they have done on some signposts, you get Sharting. <laughs> okay, what's what's the nearest big town to that? Right, nearest big town is uh, Petersfield. Right, Petersfield. Yeah, 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 we'll start. We can, we can. So if you can make your way to Petersfield, please. Yeah. Okay, I'm there. Right. I'm go, go, I feel like I should head north. Hang on a um, minute. Uh, Okay, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. All right, this is good. Well, I'm on Roman Road 155 right now, and I'm heading north. And that's not on my map. That's okay. Roman that's okay. Road 155. I'm using standard Bing maps. Right, in that case, standard Bing maps. Head north along that road, which is what, the A3, perhaps? Yeah, all right, I'm going. Right. You're getting warmer. You're getting right, warmer. North of Lys, um, you'll get to nearly Borden. Get to what, sorry? Uh, Liss, L-I-S-S. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, keep going. Gradually to, warmer. Yeah, get... Right, OK, I'll, go, I'll speed up a bit. Get to Borden. Right, so... I'm in Borden. You're, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Right. Now you want to head, uh, ideally, north-west towards Alton. Um, oh, no, you're, you're, you're getting a bit cooler there. You're getting a bit cooler. Okay, you, okay that's You're fine. doing well. You were doing well. I was doing so well. Right, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let, let's... Let I tell you what I'm going to do, Headley. Um, let me see if this works. Right. So for, gonna, for listeners, gonna... we're we're currently in the kind of the Alton area yeah. in Hampshire. Yeah, I'm going to keep her. going in the wrong direction deliberately right. until I get to Old Basing. Now, when I get to Old Basing, I'm going to try and get back on track and jump on the Basingstoke Canal. Right. Now, the Basingstoke Canal is going to take me uh, east. Which I think is where you wanted Ooh. me to head. Oh yeah, no, that, yeah, that's good. Right. That's good. Right, Greywell Tunnel, which is Oddyham. Oddyham uh, again. Oddyham. Oddyham okay. is to the uh, to the uh, east of Basingstoke. Keep going along 
uh, and I'm now nearly in fleet. Okay, can you pause a sec? I'm switching to Google Maps. All right. All right, so, so fleet, let's have a look. Fleet. Yep. Fleet. Oh, that's where the Air Museum is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. In between okay. Farm, there, isn't so, it? fleet. Yeah, you're kind of going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Keep going along the Basingstoke Canal. I've gone through Farnborough. Farnborough. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're doing well. You're right, doing well. A lot of lot of locks now. Locks all the way through Farnborough, out mm. the back of Farnborough, and I'm in. I'm nearly in Woking. Uh, okay, Woking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing well. You're doing well. All right. I better keep going then. Um, yep. still on the Basingstoke Canal, because why not? I think it soon becomes uh, the navigation. I'm not sure. Oh, is it the way navigation or way and Aaron navigation? I'm not even sure. Um, okay. I mean, we're right up in Weybridge now, Headley. Weybridge. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, you're full. You're hot. Oh, well, happy days. I didn't I mean, say that. I'd... Yeah. <laughs> not been called hot in a long time, Headley. Happy days. <laughs> um I don't know what to do for it. Oh, I'll tell you what. I bet there's a, a few interesting things here. There's an old ferry crossing. Look at that. Oh, this is exciting. Um, all right. Shall I go? I'll tell you what I could do. I could jump on the Thames and head um, north. Yeah, do that. Do that. I'm on, I'm near your place of work, I feel like, aren't I? You are. Ooh. All right. I'm keeping on the Thames. And I'm heading north. I'm nearly in Windsor. Oh, yes. Keep going. All right, I can't believe I'm saying these things. <laughs> God. Uh, Windsor, Maidenhead. Oh, ah. Uh, have I gone too far? You've gone a bit too far. Well, you, you've gone, you've kind of gone the wrong kind of way a little bit, you know. Okay, well, I can you jump to be... the Grand Union Canal, Headley, at the Slough. Yeah, that, that's better. That's better. Mm. Now you're heading oh, in the right direction. Because the Thames and the Grand Union aren't. Mm. one and a half kilometres away from me to no. Slough, so I could walk that. Jump on the Grand Union. Which way do you want me to head on the Grand Union? Oh, I think we're going to go east. Okay, so we're back inside the M25. Mm. Oh, wait, wait there. Whereabouts in the M20, inside the M25? Um, junction 15. Uh, which, yeah, where's that? Hang on. Right, uh, that's that the M4, like... M4. That's your route M4. to town, surely. It is, yes, yes it is. Yeah. Feel free to use the M4. Really? Yeah. It's not bad, is it? Could be worse. It's not bad. It could be worse. Right. Okay. So head on. I'm, I'm now. I'm going past your your place of work, right? Oh, don't go too far past it. Oh, what's around here then? West Drayton. Yeah. You, well, you're very close to West Drayton. You might want to maybe head south a little bit. So, right, am I literally stopping at your workplace? You are. Hey, look at that. I'm there. <laughs> so, you are terminal, well done. You are at two, Heathrow three, Airport. Five. You are at Heathrow Airport. So uh, now I know this is a bit of a, a strange one, but yeah. Heathrow Airport was within. I mean, it wasn't an airport at the time, obviously, but it was within the kingdom of uh, Wessex. Uh, um, now Heathrow, um, Heathrow uh, a oh. little hamlet called Heathrow. So yeah. in 1929, they built an airfield there. Uh, and they called it the Great West Aerodrome. Mm -hmm. And um, 
just by the village, uh, village uh, hamlet rather of Heathrow. So it was basically at the time it was farms, fields, and orchards all through that area. And there's quite a lot of history uh, to it as well. I mean, when they mm -hmm. built Terminal Five, there was a big archaeological dig there as well, uh, and they found loads and loads of stuff. I don't know off the top of my head what they found, but I remember it being on the news at the time. So yeah. this this little this little airfield, um, it had. Uh, as a terminal, it had a tent. So Terminal One um, used a big old sort of military-style marquee. Yeah. Um, and then uh, during the war, obviously, you know, it was used for sort of military uh, purposes as well. Uh, but after the war, uh, it became uh, London Airport. So it yeah. grew in size a fair bit. Um, they had, I think it was six runways, so you had a, basically it was almost like an RF base where you had uh, six runways in a star form that they called the Star of David. Um, mm -hmm. In 1966 it was renamed uh, to Heathrow because they didn't want to mix it up with Gatwick and the other airports. Yeah. Um, and and that's the history behind how Heathrow started. And obviously, since then it's grown and grown. Then you had the Concord era and everything as well. Um, so nowadays, to give you a few sort of basic stats, so Heathrow has four active terminals. So that's terminals yeah. two, three, four, and five. Now uh, terminals two and five also uh, are multiple buildings. So you've got terminal two A, two B. You've got terminal five A. Uh, 5B and 5C, and they're all connected underground by uh, rail links and everything. Oh, just looking at that. Um, yeah, just looking at that. Yeah, and you've actually got Hatton Cross Station off to the east, uh, which uh, feeds in obviously from the the underground. Um, yeah. And you've got the new Elizabeth line going there, of course, as well now. So you know you've got a lot of rail connections to Heathrow. So if you were to dig it up, the <laughs> the mm. you know it's probably just as complex underground as it is above. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, four terminals uh, and a cargo terminal and also some maintenance hangars off to the east and they are absolutely massive uh the one that ba uses uh is used to maintain the airbus a380s which are the double decker um aircraft with 550 seats on board yep. <clears throat> basically i think of a cruise ship with wings um yeah. so he's was about 14 miles from central london ba british airways are the main airline there they take up roughly 50 percent of the operation uh and there are about 80 other airlines uh obviously you've got like Virgin there as well. Um, yeah. At the moment, we're looking at about 1,350 aircraft movements a day. So that's if you divide that roughly by two, you've got the number of aircraft taking off and the number of aircraft landing. We only have about 240 aircraft stands. So you can see the pressure there is, you know, getting aircraft in and out on time because obviously aircraft coming in, they're going to land, otherwise they run out of fuel and you've yeah. got to put these aircraft somewhere. So the aircraft program is run very, very tightly at about 99% of its uh, maximum efficiency. Yeah. Um, and that, that translates to about a quarter of a million passengers a day plus yeah. about 70,000, 80,000 people on site. So this is contractors, Heathrow staff, airline yeah. staff, ground handlers and all of that. So you've got a place where every day there's well over 300,000, 320,000 people. Um, now, if you mm -hmm. translate that to the size of a 
fairly big city so 350,000 people I think that's probably bigger than Reading for example mm-hmm. um, every day in, in Reading people die people are born you know people get into fights this that, and the other so yeah. everything that happens with that size of group of people is going to happen at Heathrow every day so we have sort of 30 to 40 ambulance calls a day but to be fair that's where you want to be if you have a heart attack because you'll have a single yeah. paramedic turn up in about a minute yeah. um, so uh, an airport um, runs on flows, flows of everything. So obviously you've got a flow of aircraft came, coming in and out, which we've already discussed. Uh, you have a flow of passengers coming in through the terminal, through security, and then out through the gates onto the aircraft. And likewise, coming in, you have them coming in through border force, you have them bag collecting and then having to get their car and everything. So if you, and so you've got a flow of passengers, you've got a flow of bags, so uh, the baggage system at Heathrow is mind-boggling, absolutely huge, um, and most of it happens under the ground. So Terminal Five is kind of like think of it as an iceberg. What you see is the it's the well, we we think it's the largest freestanding building in Britain. It kind of vies with I think the O2 Arena for that title, but yeah, I think T5 is bigger, and most of it is underground. So it is absolutely enormous. And you've got high-speed high baggage um, tracks between T5 and Terminals 2 and 3, which are in the central terminal area. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Terminal <clears throat> Terminal 2, the newest one, Queen Elizabeth Terminal, terminal its, bag, its baggage processing is uh, where Terminal 1 used to be. And then Terminal 4 is kind of the other side of the southern runway. Um, which processes mainly Eastern traffic. So you're looking at uh, China and Saudi Arabia and India and places like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the largest of the lot is Terminal 5, followed by Terminal 3. Terminal 5 uh, processes roughly the same, maybe a few more passengers than Gatwick Airport in its entirety does. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, yeah, about the, it's about the size, yeah, it's about the size of the North and South Terminal at Gatwick combined. Um, yeah. Heathrow, Heathrow has got two physical runways, but it's actually four runways because obviously you can reverse the direction. So okay, you so you have um, yeah. We'll we get to that in a minute. I'll just go back to flows in a minute. Actually, so again, your yeah. flow of bags, flow of trolleys, flow of electricity, water, sewage, uh, ones and zeros in my case because I'm the IT ops manager. Um, And if you interrupt any of those flows, so passengers, for example, you have the lovely spacious Terminal 5, let's say. There's not many people around. It's lovely and, you know, echoey and everything. And then suddenly you have, let's say, an issue with security gates or check-in closes or something. That will fill up in about four between four and six minutes. It will be jam packed the whole terminal because you've got a constant flow of people. It's like damming a stream. That will then fill up the drop off point, which will then impact the M25. And before you know, you've got the Department of Transport asking questions. So, and it's the same if you stop aircraft, if you stop baggage, if you do any of those things, then everything else incrementally suffers through time. And there's a, a saying that if Heathrow coughs, the world gets a cold which is quite a cool thing. Um, (laughs) So uh, people might be interested in runway orientation. So the prevailing wind through the south of England is westerly. 
so 70% of the time we're on what we call westerly operations. Now, an aircraft uh, always takes off into the wind. The wind helps produce lift, if you think of it like that. And it also lands into the wind, so it's got that you know lift being generated for landing. Um, okay. if, it had a, if it had a tailwind, in order to generate lift it would have to go much much faster uh, so so yeah. yeah so when the wind's coming from the west we take off to the west and land from the east towards the west yeah. and then when the wind switches we go easterly um now we have a little okay. agreement we used to have an aircraft that was quite noisy called concord and mm. uh if you take off at the at the at the end of the so you've got two runways north and south yeah at the eastern end of the northern runway is the village of cranford and it's a lovely place you know it's got a nice school it's got a nice little marketplace and that and concord used to go over it with four reheats yeah. so um what we what we did back in the Concord days is we have something called the Cranford Agreement. So we would never take off towards the east from the northern runway so that they would never have the full afterburner of Concord. Now, over time, as the airfield has been developed and maintained, taxiways have been changed uh, to, right. to cater for that. So although Concord's not flying and the aircraft are quieter, mm. we still have that agreement in place. Okay. um it's sort of an old agreement um mm. some of the taxiways can only take a certain uh weight and width of aircraft as well so everything is kind of based around uh, that a little bit yeah. so the the two runways you have um you they they got specific names and this is the same with all airports worldwide yeah. uh, and airfields you you name the runway on the uh degrees of the compass yeah. so yeah yeah. If let's say we're on Easterlies, so if you think north and you go round to the east, that's 90 degrees, yeah. the runway is called uh, 09. So you just yeah. use the first two. First two uh, it, yeah. yeah. Now, and because if you're looking at it from that direction, it would be the left hand oh, runway, it's called 09L, and yeah. the other one will be 09R. Twist yeah. it around the other way. You're at 270 degrees on the compass, that going so out west. 27L. Right. And 27L. There we go. Yeah. So that's how the runways are named. When we're on westerlies, um, halfway through the day, because we don't have the Cranford Agreement, we switch runways at 3 p.m. And so it kind of shares the noise out uh, amongst different parts of the community. So we don't have one place having all of the no noise all of the time. Yeah. And then the last flight is generally done by latest about half past 11 at night. Although sometimes you do have a few running a bit later. We do have a, a small quota that, you know, airlines can, can use. Yeah. So yeah, yeah uh, all the, all the different flows I was on about. So the whole airport is managed from this one airport control room. So <clears throat> not the control tower. That's where, the National Air Traffic Services set, and we'll get to them in a minute, but the airport itself is controlled from a control room. Um, and as you'd imagine, it's a room with screens all the way around, and then you've got a window overlooking the northern runway, which is just brilliant. And I work in that room. Um, I work next okay. to the AOM, the Airport Operations Manager, yeah. who is responsible for the overseeing the entire operation uh, day to day and all the roles in in the APOC the control room the airport operation control are it's they're all 24 7 yeah. so obviously I can't do that job 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'd be rich if I did. Mm. Um, certainly be, you know, have more disposable income if I did that. But obviously mm. I can't do that. So there are six of me and um, we all right. sort of, one takes over from the other. Um, in that room, you have, say, the airport operations manager, the IT operations manager, uh, which is me, or controller, uh, so sort of abbreviated to ITOC. You've got the airport control team who deal with all the emergencies. So at Heathrow Airport, the phone's on all the walls. Instead of 999, you dial 222 for an emergency. Okay. You've got passenger flow. So they have all the kind of CCTV cameras and they monitor passengers. Then you've got the surface access people who monitor the roadways and make sure. Because obviously another thing, you know, traffic is a flow. So yeah, if you have yeah. a, a, a lorry or bus jackknife in the main tunnel coming into the central terminal area from the north then you're cutting off traffic those people are not going to get to their aircraft those aircraft aren't going to take off they're in stands that are occupied for incoming aircraft and and of course you know everything just again grinds to a halt so they're they're monitoring the traffic ways all the time you have engineering so they look after again electricity water sewage heating air conditioning fire that sort of stuff um you have baggage in there so they monitor the massive baggage systems because when you land at an airport it's quite easy your bag is taken from a plane put on a carousel and you go and collect it going out the bag is they're all put behind the same desks then they've got to go off and i think they have about like 20 kilometers of someone put a a, a strava tag on it and it was about 20 kilometers if you're early it goes to a big early bag store which is like toy story with the doors it's this massive room it goes to uh if you're late for your aircraft it has to go a quick route to the to be loaded but every bag has got to be screened scanned and everything as well um hugely complicated system but it's it's amazing if you go there it's just it's 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 all automated it's absolutely incredible mm. and so yeah and and that's the apoc basically so mm. it's it's just a, a great place to work it's tiring um tend to work on caffeine and sleeping pills to keep things going <laughs> but uh yeah um and it's 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 just a great place to work. I mean, it's uh, the view out the window is phenomenal. Seeing these aircraft take off just outside yeah, the window, yeah. um, I'll so give you a tour sometime. Um, yeah. So if you're if you're take if you're you're leaving from Terminal Five, for example, yeah, yeah, and you need your aircraft to take off towards the west, you've yeah. got a taxi for four kilometres, right? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, we have this, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I've got to be I careful what I can, can't say, but yeah, yeah it is, I, um, yeah, yeah. You, you do have, I mean, if you're, let's say you're, you're on Westerlies and you're landing on the Northern runway, so you're coming in from yeah. the East yeah. and you're, let's say terminal 5B or 5C, you can yeah. literally land, turn off and there you are, you're, yes. you're at your stand. Yeah. But, you know, if let's say you're uh take yeah as you say if you're you know taken off from the other end then the aircraft yeah. has got a taxi four or five kilometers i mean it's, it's yeah. a huge place it's absolutely and i mean most airports of that size have three or four runways we only have two so yeah. we're by far the busiest two runway airport in the world and we have some aircraft movements are landing or take off every 40 seconds or so yeah, through the yeah, day so I, um, I used to well i still have got like customers from other business in um yeah. Uh, Colnebrook, Poyne, Paul, mm. and yeah, yeah. You, can, you can sit there with a the customer and yeah, literally just plain, plain, plain. Um, yeah, oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? Really, 
But of course, during the pandemic, things changed. I mean, we had at the airport, I forgot, we went down to below, what was it? I think someone mentioned that we were catering for the same number of passengers per day as something like Oxford Airport usually does. Really? And we were we were down and that was all sort of uh, covid repatriations as well. So yeah. we were running at obviously running at a huge loss at the time because yeah, you're run you've got to keep the place running. You you can mothball yes. terminals but it's a bit like a car if you don't use it for a long time yeah. stuff doesn't work, you know. Yeah, it only on. works if you keep going. So the the airport still had to run even though we had no income. So Yeah, uh, and I bet it works better when it's at maximum capacity, not maximum capacity, yeah. but it works better when it's, it's at full it's, flow than it does if it's, it's like Yeah, it's like an F1 yeah. engine. It's designed to be going absolutely yeah. full power the whole time. And, mm. you know, it's not designed to be doing anything less than that. Um, and it, it does cause problems with, you know, aircraft shifting. I mean, we have in the morning, you have coming across the Atlantic, you have the, um, the jet stream. So yeah. if you've got a strong jet stream, so let's say the jet stream is, 130 150 miles an hour yeah. now that's a tailwind and that's going to bring mm. aircraft from the states in you know yeah. hour and a half two hours early yeah. so you know all of a sudden you've got sort of half past four in the morning and you've got aircraft landing so you've got to make yeah, sure so that if you're if you're repatching the runway yeah <laughs> that's a lot of pressure you know yeah. you've got these and you can see them on flight radar there's hundreds of them flying across yeah. the atlantic They're, they are landing you know you've so, got to finish your work yeah is that step i mean i I, you know i I go through my reels on instagram or my stories Mm. or whatever and yeah i keep getting loads of sort of airport um traffic controller um Mm. talking to aircraft and it's fascinating absolutely fascinating yeah is is that still one of the most like high pressured jobs you know that the the (laughs) aircraft traffic controller and obviously i don't want you to insult anybody no, but, um, no, I've, I know a couple of air traffic controllers. Um, yeah, and is it, is so, it, yeah, my perception is yeah. huge stress. You don't get anything wrong. It's obviously. It's, it's yeah. a very, it's very, I mean, it's very difficult to explain, first of all, about how safe flying actually is. I mean, I've, yeah. I've whilst I've been there, there's been about 8 million flights yeah. and every single one has come back safely. You know, you, you have the odd thing happening, you know. I mean, if, if a passenger reports the smell of smoke or something, then it might be emergency or, you know, so, you, know you do have these emergencies, inverted commas, but you never have an emergency, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But that's because the procedures are so mature. So if you look at air traffic control, I mean, the guys up in the tower, they yeah. are, what they do is they're called vectoring aircraft. So they pull them out of the, the stack, you know, yeah. so you've got four yeah. stacks, you've got Bovington, Biggin Hill, Lambourne and Ockham. And right. on a busy day, obviously, aircraft join these stacks and spiral down. Yeah. And then they, they vector. So that means they turn out of the stack and yeah. then on to the final approach into Heathrow. Yeah. And the tightness of that turn dictates the gap between the aircraft in front and them. And that's yeah. <clears throat> that's how they string the aircraft out coming down onto the runway. Now, yeah. on a windy day, so let's imagine you're landing from the east. Um, those hangars I spoke about earlier, especially the cathedral, the yeah. air swirls over those onto the runway. So what you've got is you've got aircraft coming down on a windy day if the wind's kind of from the south. Yeah. And it, it, it does, it you know, it can cause a bit of buffeting. And so yeah. to be 100% safe, what you get is something called a missed approach. So the aircraft will come down, the pilot will think, you know, I think I want a second go at this and rev the yeah. engines up and take off and go around and rejoin. Yeah. And if, <clears throat> if you have too many of those, it can disrupt the schedule. 
yeah, of um, course, yeah, of course, yeah. can obviously push stuff back. But yeah, it's it's very the, the procedure is very mature. The the actual tower itself, I've been into it. It's a very nice working environment. It's very quiet, very calm, um, and they have regular breaks. And downstairs, they got you know, I, don't, I can't remember if it was a cafe or something, but it's it's a nice place to be. Yeah. And so yeah, everyone seemed very calm, very assured, very very nice, and mm. you know, there was no. I couldn't. Let's say I didn't see a bead of sweat anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then. They're, they're managed by Swanwick before they get to Heathrow. So over the UK, uh, National Air Traffic Services and Swanwick uh, actually manage the traffic. And yeah. In the sky, you've got, I think we've said this before, you've got kind of uh, imaginary towns. So if we take those four stacks, like yeah. Ockham, Lambourne, Biggin Hill and, and Bovington, yeah. they've got, they're above something called a VOR beacon, which is a thing that sends a signal around at a certain speed and, and yeah. the uh, the onboard computers on the aircraft pick that up and they literally go, you know, it's almost like a tube map, like you said earlier, you yeah. know, a route map into Heathrow. And we still use those because we could easily use, you know, you could easily switch to GPS, which, which would be the logical move. But um, what if, you know, we fall out with the Americans or more likely yeah. the Russians and yeah. they withdraw the use of their GPS systems. So, you yeah. know, we need these physical old beacons on the ground to do the job and mm. they're just, they just work. They're really, really reliable. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, I won't rant on too much because uh, it's a yeah. bit of an odd one today, but that's well, why not? Why not? It's interesting. interesting yeah. isn't it? And no one's yeah. not going to find that sort of topic interesting. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Mm. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a tour sometime. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, well, before we wrap up, what have we got in terms of any anything exciting comment wise from from anybody? Oh, anybody? Have we got a look. comment of the week or anything of any interest? Right. Well, let's let's go back through the comments. So, go yeah. right back to episode thirteen. I think we have to be a bit kind of frugal with these because we have got a lot of comments. We've got a few, haven't we? So just two, one or two, I guess, a handful of anything interesting. Yeah. So Peter Smith, um, I've ridden the line between Swindon and Marlborough in November. Very muddy and slippery on a road bike. Yeah. Um, but I didn't okay. didn't puncture. Good, which is unusual in the wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone talking about liddington uh another coincidence he said i was just having an explore around liddington hill fort this morning while the fort itself was oh sorry this is simon fairborn uh the the fort itself was lovely and indeed the views are stunning i was more surprised by the contents of the clump of trees just to the east and the way up that's brilliant and as he says there's loads of little unofficial memorials to all sorts of people and i think also pets in the trees um and uh yeah and he said yeah as, and as you emerge at the top there's an army installation um he since learned that this the uh it was a control bunker for starfish q uh maybe starfish could be a subject for one of your videos yeah um let's have a look uh so let's just check how long i'm going to try for the short um this is philip bellow 9645, where Paul was talking about the twin railway embankments at the southern end of Savanac Forest. There are a few interesting things to note that happened there. So he says he worked on a property to the west of the A343 at Lease Hill uh, that was originally built as a party house in the 1920s for Mm -hmm. the London set. They used to stop the train at the end of the property's garden, drop the guests and their luggage off. A makeshift step arrangement was carved into the embankment along there to help uh, with uh, this unauthorised stop-off. 
He says, on the 22nd of October 1944, there was a terrible road accident along there where 14 U.S. service personnel were killed when their coach hit an army truck head-on. Ah, um, what's the... Um, and he also says that in 1946, Savanak railway sidings, uh, used as part of the Savanak ammunition dump, had a huge ammunition yeah. train explosion with over yeah. 200 tonnes going off and creating massive destruction. Do you know, I seem to remember um, something like that happening at Greenham Common as well. My mum telling oh, me really? when there's is a, like a big, not a B-52, but a large aircraft smashed into the hangars. And yeah, I yeah. think at the time it was right next to where the nuclear weapons were being stored. So yeah. If you want to see a clip of that. Really? Um, there's a clip? There's a clip. Not of the actual explosion, but you can mm. see the aftermath. Um, yeah. When we were on the BBC with Paul Clifton um, doing his report on beaching, he included yeah. that in the videos. And there's like an airplane yeah. going over the... And it is a massive site, huge yeah. site where these the ammunitions exploded. Um, oh, right. Yeah, sort of three, four, five hundred yards site. Massive explosion it must have been. Mm. Mm. Um, let's have a look Graham Allen uh, there is a lovely pre-medieval uh, linear feature so it's overlain by a ridge and furrow running through Little Whitnam Wood uh, down to the river to the west of Star Walk it looks like Felmore Copse was similarly under the plough both could be forestry related rather than R&F though. The LIDAR also shows there's a linear feature that continues along the river from the Roman road on the OS map. Could be evidence of a road. You can follow mm -hmm. the linear feature southwards, southwards right to Molesford. Ah, and that might be where the river crossing was. Okay. Mm. Might have to look into that one. Uh, lots of nice comments. Thanks to everyone. Uh, thanks to Paul Timlet. Um, let's have a look. He was saying about Tim Daw and his long barrow. I'm seeing Tim tomorrow. I might even get to go into his barrow again. Uh, yeah. They interviewed Tim, episode 35 of the Hidden Wiltshire podcast. That was really yeah. good. Um, so he says... <laughs> Carefully. Uh, apart from <laughs> arriving at a definitive date for the construction of Wands Dyke using luminescence dating, uh, the exciting thing is that they'll be able to determine what its purpose was. Now, now this this is this is absolutely right. So, um, Alex Langlands, Dr. Alex Langlands, and uh, a few other people have done this luminescence dating of Wands Dyke. And as I said, Wands Dyke was a kingdom-wide effort. It's a huge, great you know ditch, as you know, and they now know. Um, they they now know when uh, when it was made and therefore who made it and what the likely purpose was. Um, yeah, so that'll be interesting to find out. Uh, he also says the stone in the trees on Milk Hill has Nuno the Moss Man carved on it. I saw this. If you go up Milk Hill, there's some trees at the top. It's lovely. Yeah. And there's a stone that's just got Nuno the Moss Man carved on it. No <laughs> one knows what that is. If anyone knows that, put it down yeah, below. Bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, Let's have a look. Uh, hi, Paul and Headley. Love your YouTube videos. Thank you. Uh, wish you could do somewhere. I live in Northumberland, Scottish border. Lots of history up there. That would be amazing. Mm. Um, if I had time, definitely. Um, yeah. we, right. did a, we, we did a couple of videos from there a mm. long time ago on mm. the Scottish borders line from Rickerton down oh, of to course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sawtree yeah. and... Yeah, yeah, plashets and all that. So there's a couple of videos, very old videos from the Scottish yeah. borders. Mm. 
A um, couple of channels I want to plug, and one of them's actually, two of them commented. So uh, Sam walks a lot. So this is Sam. I've been on a walk with her. She's amazing. Oh. Uh, she she does all those walks uh, around different places. She's put, is it ever sunny at Whitnam Clumps? <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Sam. Has she got a YouTube channel? Uh, right. Oh, she's, she's, yes. She's only been doing it for a few months, but she's done lots of videos, and they're all really good. So she goes on these walks and basically film, and, and they're all really sort of interesting places, like she went to Arundel Castle and places like that. Um, oh, brilliant. So, um, Excellent. Oh, I've, got, I've got a cat coming towards me. One day we'll afford our own studio, boy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You, you've been fed. Go away. Right. Um, so WC21 UK Productions Limited. I will repeat that in a minute because it's worth knowing. Um, he's basically found our podcast. Now, he, uh, as well as doing uh, excellent podcasts, knows about you, Paul. I've been speaking with him. He is absolutely superb. And let me just open oh, his channel. You, you told me yeah. about that a while ago. I did. I watched about three I did. of his videos, but so I haven't subscribed. He, I've just subscribed now. <clears throat> I, I've never seen videos that are so good with so little subscribers at the moment. Yeah, I that think happens. that it'll that go happens. up. It does I happen. And, and I, I hope to God he keeps doing these videos because yeah. it's really, really good. He did he one about the ridgeway as it goes along Grimm's ditch. Do you know, um, this, this is a weird thing, field. right? Sorry to mm. interrupt here. This is a weird thing. Right. People, people comment on our videos all the time and we chat to them mm. and I never actually put them together being, being production. I have seen this mm. guy, 100%. Yeah. And, and what yeah. will happen, he will, yeah. ha this, this is how it will work, I promise you now because I've seen it before a thousand times. He will yeah. have one of his, his videos yeah. will go very well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Boom. All yeah. of a sudden, it'll get 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 views. And then all yeah. of a sudden, all the people will watch all the rest of them. So as long as he remains consistent, his channel yeah. will take off. Because exactly. people used to and say to us in the very early days the same thing. Why is your exactly. channel bigger? And I will repeat mm. in a minute, I'll repeat his name, but some of the, the things he's done. So he's done, would you stay in a bothy? Um, he's put yeah. sharp edge decision point. That just sends a chill down my spine because I know sharp mm -hmm. edge. Um, he's put giants in the church, which are the giants at Aldworth. He's done that yeah. bit on Grimm's Ditch I've seen. Um, and a lot of stuff's all about the Roman, the Danish, stuff yeah. like that. He's Love He's it. got... Uh, a little bit about Reggie Perry, and that's quite cool. Um, but it, really, he and his latest one, which I haven't seen yet because I've been busy, is called Hill of Skulls, um, the oh. Time Tunnel. So, guys, uh, look at this. Look at this channel. So it's yeah. WC Twenty One UK Productions Ltd. So limited. Yeah. I mean, I, I can <coughs> see a number of things I would help. I mean, get in, if you're listening mm. to this, WC21, get in touch because I can help you with the YouTube channel because I can see yeah. three or four things I would recommend you do and you change about what you're doing to increase your viewership in a positive way. I don't, I don't mean that in a nasty way. I mean that in like a, you've got massive potential. Let Get in touch with me and I'll help you um, move your channel forward. <laughs> I've just, uh, I've yeah. just laughed because he, he uploaded a video. This has had a lot of views. Uh, called the mysterious Roman wooden phallus. Okay, oh, yeah. I've got to watch that. That's funny. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. So we've given him a bit of a, a yeah, promotion. He's, he's we great. don't have that he's, many he's followers, humorous. but he's really good, isn't he? Mm. <coughs> so he, he was already a fan of yours as well. So um, oh, brilliant. Oh, so, well, right, WC21, get in touch with me. Drop me an email or something, and I'll, yes. and I'll help you move your channel yes. forward because massive potential. And obviously, yeah. let's not forget we just mentioned walk with Sam. Sam, people. Walks. 
people love your ranting, apart from one, Telquad1953, or also hung up on beaching again and again and again. <laughs> shouldn't laugh at that. Uh, there's <laughs> rest, <laughs> Davy941, rest in peace, my left ear at the start. That's because I'm using a phone that only has my... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll try and sort that out in time, I'm sure. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot... Um, <laughs> That's another good one. Malcolm Richardson, 3AA1. He remembers doing a very pleasant walk from Cullen Station to Whitlam Clumps. Now, that sounds yep. good. Um, yeah. Do you know what? That does sound really good. And he's, he said um, he's going to try and ex go to our uh, Wessex Ways exhibition at the Wilshire yep. Museum as well, which is still on till October the 4th, 15th. Uh, and we've got Alex Langlands doing a talk there on the 12th of September, I believe. Yeah, I've got my tickets already, I've booked my tickets already. Have you? Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'll see you there then. So yeah. that's our comments. So I haven't done them all from the last two videos um, because obviously last video was a little bit different and we didn't read out the comments from yeah. the one before. So do comment below. If you can tell us places maybe that you want me to cover or Paul to cover, um, if you've got any mysteries or anything like that, or just general mm. comments, have a have a bit of a pop at us maybe. We can take it. Um, <laughs> but I think it's fine. Thank you for li listening this long i suppose yeah uh, any any comments paul before we go or any news nope. or anything i'm done no? i'm done i think now. i'm it's done good. too yeah we're all good all good brilliant mm. okay so um i'm i'm gonna go off and watch alan partridge with the kids because they like it for some reason and oh. uh <laughs> love, a, love a bit of alan partridge yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. uh, right all right um, and thanks for listening and uh, please like and comment and share and all that kind of whatever they yeah. say on YouTube and uh, thanks again to all our listeners and, and thanks for being so interactive we love the comments I've met a few of you at uh, not just Earth Trust but also at the Wiltshire Museum uh, yeah. and it's great to actually meet meet people who you know part of this little community uh, mm. for real so yeah um, it'd be great to, to meet more of you so anyway thank you so much guys and we'll speak to you soon Yep, cheers. cheers. See you next time.